Hello, and welcome to the Hull Libraries podcast. I'm Dan. And I'm Katie. In this bumper episode, we had a conversation with children's author and illustrator Chloe Inkpen. Local radio personality and medieval musical maestro Wolfie O'Hare and our wonderful colleague Hannah about musicals and books to have a good cry to. First up, we chatted to Chloe Inkpen about following in the footsteps of and working alongside her famous dad, inspiration and doubts, modern technology and picture books, and if having kids of your own changes how you create. Um, well, I sort of, I was lucky because I grew up surrounded by picture books because my dad has had a long career in children's books. Um, so it was sort of with me right from the beginning. And my mum is also very creative. So we were very lucky at home. Like mum would spend hours doing sort of writing and painting and making and all that kind of stuff with us. Um, so it was kind of in in the blood, I think. And then dad always worked from home. So I, I had this kind of the luxury of just being able to wander in and out of his studio um, and have a look over his shoulder and see what he was getting up to whenever I wanted, which of course I took completely for granted as a kid. <laughs> well, also I think because his, his career kind of launched just at the point that I was moving getting a bit too old for picture books so I didn't it wasn't like it so he came up with a character called Kipper which some people might have heard of um and Kipper became big when I was kind of I guess eight nine that sort of of age so yeah I just I really took it for granted what he did which I'm slightly ashamed to admit now looking back it's like that's so cool that you got to see all that emerge but um I think probably at the time I was like picture books I'm too big for those yeah Um, you're never too big for picture books really I don't think (laughs) so do you feel it was just a natural progression that you started yeah I think because I was kind of surrounded by all that and because I started like writing stories and drawing from a really young age um it was a very sort of organic process but I never I never really actually sat down and thought I want to do this for a job until much much later I always wanted to be David Attenborough that was what I ah, wanted to be right. <laughs> so did you go to uni or college yeah I went to Nottingham uni originally to study English um but I actually ended up switching and went to Glasgow to the art school because I found I just really missed the sort of more creative side of things so I went and did a visual communication degree at the Glasgow School of Art. That's a sort of combination of graphics, illustration and photography, and then you specialize in your second year, I think. Um, And I just, a lot of people moaned about it because they thought, oh, I already know that I want to be a graphic designer or, you know, a photographer or whatever it was, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I just, because I'd had this sort of quite academic experience just leading up to it, I just loved the freedom of like one day making a sculpture, like the next day learning how to use an old fashioned camera and develop the film. And it was just like heaven for me. (laughs) Um, I was quite lucky with the picture book thing because I entered the Macmillan prize for picture books in my, I was in my final year and I won like second place. It was like a joint second place, which was a really like lovely surprise. So they rang me up to like they had a like a little exhibition of um, the finalists in Shoreditch, which you know I knew nothing of East London and all that. So it was and I was up in Glasgow. So it was just kind of an exciting time. And then they invited us down to meet them and like to share some portfolio stuff. And it was just the most incredible foot in the door at exactly the right point. Um, um, and I still count myself as extremely lucky because it's that period where you're graduating obviously can be so difficult in terms of like trying to find work, trying to find your feet, like trying to work out what you want to do, all that stuff. Um, and all your friends kind of moving away in different directions. And it, it really gave me a kind of point of focus and a point of hope, I think, because I didn't... I didn't know whether or not it would be possible to build a career in picture books like that because from from when my dad had kind of entered that world things had changed really drastically and it you know it has become increasingly difficult I think to make a mark as competition increases and you know there's less visibility on, on the shelves so you're kind of 
tackling online sales and all that kind of stuff it was it was quite a daunting kind of world to enter compared with when my dad started and what was the book that you entered into the Macmillan um <laughs> you we're going we're get, I do remember I'm trying to remember the title oh it was called my guinea pig don't like sprouts <laughs> <laughs> it was about a guinea pig that refused to eat uh anything healthy basically um it was quite a sort of puerile <laughs> ending of the book I think he ended up puking on the rabbit or something <laughs> it wasn't one that ever got published although yeah. I did I found it recently and I thought kids would probably love this <laughs> could, could rework it and release <laughs> it's a well-established um prize though isn't it Macmillan it's a really good like say foot in the door it really is yeah. so from there where did where did you go after this so after that I moved um I stayed in Glasgow for a bit but then I moved back to my folks place for I think it was a year um, and dad and I had already talked about working together kind of pre in a sort of general sense since I was sort of a teenager um and it was a really nice point for us to start working together because I'd had I think eight years away from home by this point so I'd sort of had a chance to build my own sense of myself but also my own kind of illustration style and I just felt kind of confident coming into a working relationship with him where I wouldn't just be like a second pair of hands where we, we both had something to bring to the table if you see what I mean um and we're really lucky because we just we're quite well very similar um so when you're trying to make those creative decisions in the working process we often will kind of predict each other's thoughts or come up with the same solution very rarely disagree which I know is a bit boring but, but it's kind of... <laughs> so would you say your approach and your processes are, are quite similar in how you deal with starting a new title a new story I think in terms of like if you're speaking technically like I've kind of learned tons from dad and like I've been really lucky to sort of have his guidance like stuff like putting the right when you've done the writing we always put it into the spread um like it's in InDesign but so that you can start to picture how the the pictures will work around the text like how and get a rhythm of get the rhythm of the text in terms of where the pages are turned rather than having like a sort of dry script on a four paper you know what I mean like we, we get those words into a picture book format as early as possible in the process and it is very much a kind of split between writing illustration and design I think um, and that's what's so nice about doing all of those elements we, I think I always feel lucky that we get to kind of control all of those processes because it make because they will feed into each other um and I know that people have really nice uh, working relationships as individual illustrators and authors but it's quite hard I think to find people that you do work well with so to be able to sort of do that yourself it, it is it is a bonus I think um and it is really enjoyable and looking at your illustration work, do you have kind of a an image in your head of who that character is going to look like from the start, or do you sometimes have to really work on it? Um, it varies. That varies from book to book. So with um, we've got a couple of books about a little sort of naughty pug dog. Yeah, Fred started out as a Christmas card. Um, so I I drew the little character and printed it out and posted it off to my all my friends and family one Christmas. And Dad got his card in the post and he just really liked the character and thought that character needs a story so that's why we started making books about Fred so in that case it started with an illustration uh, whereas with Zoe and Beans which was a we did a series of, of books they started off in in writing I think and then I had to sort of design characters around the ideas that we'd already come up with um, and Beans was easy because I loved drawing dogs so he just kind of fell out of my pencil yeah. <laughs> um, he just needed to be kind of big in relation to Zoe and kind of scruffy um, so he yeah he was easy I think Zoe I spent longer on and I wanted her to have a really distinctive dress so that she was kind of recognizable it's very rare that I would I've, in fact I don't think I've ever come up with a whole sort of storyboard of pictures before putting the words in like we, we tend to work words first which is actually something 
I'd actually quite like to flip it and have a go the other way because you often end up stories often write themselves in our case so it, I mean obviously to to a degree <laughs> but like you know you kind of get um you get going with the story and it takes you off in certain directions and then like before you know it you've got a whole bunch of things to draw that you'd really rather not be drawing <laughs> like that's what I find because <laughs> like there's certain things I loved I love drawing animals um I really like drawing people less interested in sort of inanimate objects like I don't know showers and phones and computers <laughs> and things like that I don't know like there's certain things I'm like oh and then you've but you've then you've written this kind of complex story that involves some awkward things to draw uh, so yeah I'd like to flip it on its head mainly just to see if I could get a really fresh scruffy scribbly kind of drawing process in into the book um and it's it's harder I think to do it that way around but I really want to give it a go so that's sort of what partly what I'm working on at the moment actually does your process involve do you draw start off with a blank piece of paper and a pencil or you know gone like technical or how do you actually get your images to it's start changed with? over the years I've been doing this for about I think it's about 11 years now and the first books I did which were the Zoe and Beans books I was drawing in pencil I did the line work first and then I was coloring with watercolors on watercolor paper um, but what I did, I think, because it's really tricky not to make mistakes with watercolour because it dries so quickly, I used to sort of cheat and scan in my pencil drawings and print them out onto watercolour paper so that if I mucked up the colour, I could have another go, which I think my dad at the time was like, that's outrageous. I've always had to get it perfect because he did like the old Stop. style, <laughs> taping it down. He's like, you're so lucky that you can yeah. do that. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's incorporated various like Photoshoppy things into his process as well. Like, you know, doing, he used to use airbrushes loads to do background stuff and that stuff is so much easier with Photoshop now. Um, but yeah, that's how I started. And then with the Fred books, I, it's funny, you kind of forget immediately. <laughs> I did, I think I did quite a lot more of that in Photoshop with Fred. Even the line work, I think I was kind of do, using a Wacom and doing quite a lot of the line work. And then for my newer stories, I've completely moved onto an iPad. So Hole in the Zoo and Mrs. Black Hat there are kind of newer stories. They were done in their entirety on an iPad, which I've actually really enjoyed because it gives you, it kind of speeds up the process of trying things out. It gives you a kind of a chance to flip something upside down, blow it up really big um, without having to waste tons of materials and kind of build up a massive bin full of, of rubbish. Um, so I've quite enjoyed that process, although I always feel slightly confined by the size because you've worked in Hull for us before, haven't you? And I've took you around the primaries and you do these fantastic presentations to children. You are very engaging and very exciting and you, you're quite naturally, like you're very good at it and you really engage the kids. Is that something you planned on doing or did you just fall upon it? Um, thanks for saying that. That's really nice. <laughs> I really enjoyed them because I was sat there enjoying it as much as the kids and then I loved oh. the books. Uh, yeah it's, it's become a really big part of the job actually um doing stuff in schools um and and with libraries um and it's one of my it might probably actually my favorite part of the job if I'm honest there's something so special about that age group I work with three to seven year olds um and again it just feels incredibly lucky to be able to be working with that age group because they are so game for anything like I mean provided you're enthusiastic they've got like they can have short attention spans but I've kind of designed all of my events um so that they're joining in every couple of minutes with sounds actions a drawing activity some something that engages them which yeah I, I love it like it's it's really really good fun it's quite hard work and it's quite exhausting but it's massively worth it it's I mean it feels like a massive privilege to me to be a part of that kind of process of engaging kids with reading and it always amazes me when teachers say like how how long the impact of of a single event kind of lasts it, it, that it's quite a powerful thing in certain in certain schools um 
and they're just they're just nothing better than hearing that a reluctant reader has picked up a book because of something you've done like it's just it's a great a great feeling so that I've tried to expand a lot on on my events work and even in lockdown actually I was really surprised because I thought it's a shame that they've all gone online and like it won't be as good but actually in some senses it was it created an even more kind of intimate feel um especially when kids were at home because like I was in my studio so I could share things spontaneously with them I could hold up my artwork from when I was a kid if I was talking about it and you know some one school really were really into the blue balloon which was my my dad's kind of it was kind of the first kipper book um unofficially <laughs> where kipper was still kind of on all fours and um so I just kind of pulled out this like vintage copy of, of the blue balloon because I was there and I could do it and then the other way around as well they were in their homes so you know their pets were kind of with them and they could introduce them or like they're holding up artwork they've done before or their cuddly toys or whatever it was it just created a sort of intimacy that we would never have experienced otherwise um and so yeah I was amazed how well the online stuff went um, and it also made I assume it made lots of events more accessible to schools that don't have like vast quantities of cash to chuck at you know paying people's expenses traveling around the country or whatever like it it, it makes it a bit cheaper so um and I was amazed at um how well everyone just adapted to their technology I mean I don't know why I was amazed kids always adapt but yeah it, it was just so funny to see like these in some cases like with the older groups like there wasn't a parent in sight they'd just be sat there with their little headset on <laughs> pencil in hand like looking like they were sort of ready for a board meeting or something. <laughs> it's just so sweet um yeah it was good and then like and it was kind of weird because there were certain cases where for safeguarding reasons I couldn't see or sometimes even hear them which that was really odd um but then like the chat box function comes into its own and like we had a hilarious time I think with one school there was a section in the event where I was asking them for suggestions of disgusting ingredients to put in a witch's cauldron and they started off with like fairly innocuous suggestions like eyeballs and toenails and stuff and then it just got more and more puerile and it was like poo like human poo and then someone typed in your mum <laughs> like, these guys are seven and then the teacher comes in with that's enough <laughs> and then they're, they're sort of carrying on and then he just writes in caps enough and that's kind of <laughs> this is just like this hilarious world opens up that you never knew and some of the ideas as well, like when yeah, you're doing your drawing. Oh, that I've got to keep it in my head because that's a great idea. No, it's great. That's the other thing that's really nice about working with kids, like because I do lots of drawing with them. I've always maintained that kids have they're the best illustrators because they they're so uninhibited. Or that age that age group that I work with, at least, they're so uninhibited, and so their drawings. If you give them the right kind of materials and kind of base point they can come up with some absolutely brilliant drawings and it's been really nice because I've got a nearly two-year-old so I've been doing lots of drawing with her and it can it's actually changed the way that I've approached it quite a lot for the better I think because we do lots of stuff on an etch-a-sketch which obviously just gets erased and her favorite thing is the slider to erase it so <laughs> you're like my masterpiece is gone <laughs> like, so you can't be at all precious and it's also just that thing of like thinking on your feet thinking spontaneously about about what you're about to draw um it's really loosened me up for the better I think and it's like I mean I'm sure loads of illustrators kind of have the same issue of like striving to get back to the something fresh and loose and kind of not tighten up I think it's quite tricky when it's your income is attached to it I think because there's a sort of certain amount of pressure and then you've got a deadline or whatever and it's like ah I always have a crisis of confidence with every single book that I do um, really which my partner thinks is hilarious because <laughs> like every time I'm like I can't do it I can't do it it's like yes you can and you will and you have many times <laughs> do you feel like becoming a mom has changed your um I don't know inspiration and ideas of how you will be writing stories now do you see through the eyes of your daughter a little bit yeah I think it has like I actually embarrassingly 
didn't realize how sen- I feel particularly embarrassed talking to you about this because I know that you've done tons of work with little ones but I didn't realize how central books were to babies and to toddlers like because I've always worked in schools and libraries with like the three to seven year old age group I just didn't realize like how crucial and important and brilliant books are for, for that age she loves books and we go to the library like every couple of weeks and get a new set of books she's got obviously got um all of our books mine and dad's and all every of my night dad's. we read them to you <laughs> yeah you will luckily dad's again. done loads so she's not sick of them yet but it's funny because she thinks that all books are written by mummy and granddad <laughs> I guess okay. just, oh. So, oh no I didn't I actually didn't write that one <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah like they've been it's been really amazing kind of enjoying books with her um and I think it yeah, I think it has changed the way that I look at books and the and the way that I will and am working on them now um, for the for the better, I think. Um, but also just that thing of like seeing her create. Like I feel very like I'm sort of more tired than ever before, but also feel more creative than ever before. I think because I do lots of creative stuff with her, and it's just opened up the world a bit. Um, so yeah I feel quite lucky to have had that in some ways I feel like I've kind of been waiting for this my whole life and like I don't know what I'm gonna do when she becomes a grumpy teenager and isn't interested anymore (laughs) (laughs) I'll worry about that later but at the moment it's great (laughs) next up we chatted to Wolfie O'Hare about having a second career in radio after retirement as well as his large and fascinating collection of medieval and folk musical instruments, including some lovely sound clips to wrap your ears round as well. I'm so thankful you've joined me today. Well, you will be. (laughs) Well, we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) So for everyone listening, we know each other, don't we? Or you know me. Our reputations have been enjoying for quite some time. It's about two years now we've been doing... Yeah, but I've been interviewing you for Whole Kingston Radio to talk about what's happening at the library. Yeah, it's really good for us because we get to pop on, don't we? Talk about what's happening at the time and you've always been really good with that and always let us talk about everything and you're really big on community so how did let's start with that how did you actually get into doing the radio well it was entirely by mistake like many many things in my life it's all been a bit of an accident really Um, I retired Uh, I'd spent 40 years um, building up a career and you know, great responsibility. I was a manager of therapeutic services for children and families for a charity. And uh, I retired and thought, well, that's it. I'm going to just indulge my private passions for music and for writing. There's so many different strands to what I do. If people said, you know, what do you do? Then I have to sort of tease out the different strands. You know, if you follow your passions, you end up with a mess in in your front room. So uh, what happened was I saw an advert for, it said, Blokes Singing Group. And I, I thought for once, here's something that I could go along to. And just enjoy it, Katie, yeah. and not be involved in the organisation. Because you've done that for years with your job. and Yes, yeah. and also with the band, you know, because they're, they're all marvellous. But if I didn't kick them up the backside from time to time, nothing would happen. <laughs> it's my job to be bossy. And I'm sure you can appreciate that because I know you to be bossy too. How very dare you. <laughs> <laughs> I digress. And that used to be my... Yeah, so talk to... about Radio first. Yes, <laughs> they, used to call me, they used to call me Dr. Digress at university. See, I'll boss you about. Oh, well, yes. <laughs> As night follows day. Anyway, so I went along to this do thinking, well, I've got nothing to do here apart from just enjoy it. Well, in the break... This man came up to me and said, can I take your photograph? And I said, for what purpose? And he said, you've got an unusual face. And I thought, gee, thanks. Is that a compliment? (laughs) Well, I thought, and he said, "Um, I'd like to paint you. Uh, He says, because you've got an unusual face and you've got a a long beard, you see. 
Yeah. I thought, yes, well, go on, you do that. And I thought, no more of it till about two or three months later. I was innocently having a coffee in a cafe in town. Can you remember cafes? Yes, Katie? and going yes. out for a coffee. Yes, <laughs> we'll have to explain this to our children, don't we? Places where you go and buy cake and drink yeah. coffee and talk to other people. And there I was, sat at the table with my partner, and I heard this uh, voice across the room, Wolfie! I thought, who do I owe money to? <laughs> and I didn't. It was the bloke from the, the bloke singing. And he said, I've finished your paintings and I've done two of them. So he showed me one of them on, on, on the phone. I thought, these are very good. You know, I, I'm anticipating having to, you know, arrange, you know, when you sort of anticipate having to arrange your face. Well, I was surprised, you know, so it was really, really good. He said, uh, would you like to come and collect your paintings? I work at the BBC. And I said, now, who are you again? He said, I'm, my name is Phil White. Oh, was it Phil? And it's Phil White. <laughs> I so. didn't know he was an artist as well. He's, he's very, very good indeed. Yeah. Exceptionally good. We're talking about professional quality here. So I went to go and collect uh, a painting. He thought, you can have one of these. And I chose the one I wanted. He said, would you like a tour around the studio? And I said, oh, that'd be marvellous. I'd love to see that. So it must have been about 40 minutes later when he realised that I was no stranger to opening and closing my mouth. <laughs> I don't know so what you we, mean. Uh, <laughs> I've only got 40 minutes with today, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I'll get you back. Anyway, so he said, uh, would, you like to, would you like to appear on a programme? I said, yes. I said, I'm sure I could talk for... Um, you know, a few minutes on this and that, mostly the other. And uh, so I started off on Fiona Mills' programme on the Wednesday evening. And bit by bit, she sort of moved me to more towards nine o'clock and called me Watershed Wolfie, because of the number of subjects and the type of subjects we were discussing about. And after that, after about six months of that, I was on the way out of the BBC one evening when I heard this voice you see, the voice went, do you want to be on the radio? <laughs> I thought, who's this? Well, it's, it's Pete Mills, Fiona's husband. Of course, he's the programme director at um, Hulkingston Radio. And I thought he meant as a guest. But he went, no, I want to train you. <laughs> so I've met Pete. You don't sound like that. You're making him sound oh, like the I big know, I've, got, I've got to build it. I've got to build up the character of it, I. I've got to, I do that when I'm on, on the radio. I say, oh, it's Pete Mills at four o'clock, so all watch yourselves. <laughs> so I started the training, and do, do you know, it was beautiful. The training was absolutely smashing. It really was. It really challenged me. Mind you, I've got to say that some of the, some of the skills that I had uh, acquired over the years, because as I've said, I've got a background in, in therapeutic work, I've spent 40 years talking to people who didn't really want to be there. I think I always say to guests, as I'm, I always prefer to talk to them before they meet me, it's not always possible, but I always want to have at least a telephone conversation first. Or I arrange for them to come into the studio just before the programme begins so that I can make them aware that I've got plenty of opportunities to show off I've got loads of opportunities to show off. This is about you. Really, as I say to uh, guests, you're delivering postcards to the public. It's not a dossier. I remember once there was a woman who was um, representing an organisation uh, to do with crafts. And the poor woman came to the radio interview as if she was preparing for a day in court with all these papers in front of her. Um, I said, I'm going to be talking to you for 20 minutes, split up, because we were live then, and you're never going to get through all of this, and people will switch off. So let me help you to get your point across. They just need, they just need that one particular thing to listen to you know, that goes, oh, that's interesting. And by the time they've usually heard that, they stop listening to you because they're on their computer finding out when, when it is. Some of my job is to make sure that people pause and listen to what people are saying. So they've got that two minutes, there's be two minutes, three minutes there where people can really, oh, that's interesting. I'd like to hear more of them. And that's the main point. I'd like to hear more of 
them, not me. Of course, I do love to show off. I really, really enjoy having my opportunities to show off and to talk without stop and without interruption. Although Fiona Mills always tells me that she loves to talk to me with a fader in her hand so she can switch <laughs> me off straight away at the minute that she feels tired of me. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> so we've talked about the radio. Let's go back into your world of music tell me how did you get into music she played quite a lot of instruments i wouldn't be aware of lots of um medieval medieval and renaissance instruments tell me about how you got into that well it all shall we say started in childhood again is that i found a piano in my grandmother's house and she played but it's one of those things where People sometimes live past their interest in things. And she would have been in her 80s then. And she'd lived past her interest in playing. But when I started banging on it and working out how things worked, and like some, you know, another child, another boy would have been interested for two minutes and moved on to something else that they were interested in. But I was interested in the sounds that this machine made and how you could put them together. So, and that became a bit of an obsession until I, you know, bothered the life out of my parents until they actually got a piano, which in those days, of course, it's so easy to get a keyboard that fits in, into a cupboard and it, it could be easily forgotten about, but a piano used to be a major undertaking because it's so heavy and it sits there in the middle of your living room and your mother you know, complains every time she has to dust it. So... There it was, and I eventually had um, formal lessons in piano and violin, in, in, in the end, and violin. Uh, now, I've always maintained that if you've got a musical knowledge about one particular area, then it's almost inevitable that you'll be able to do, you'll be able to find and use your skills in others, whether they're comparable. If you can understand the concepts of music with one instrument is very easy in the main to transfer to another one. Where did your love of medieval instruments come from? That came from university where I had nothing but ridicule for the people that were interested in early music. You know, I used to say, oh, look, here they are. Some of them look as if they've had the Black Death already. <laughs> and I wasn't into it then. It was later on. Now, I play lots and lots of musical instruments. I play wind instruments and stringed instruments and also brass instruments as well. Um, on that basis, and I just taught myself how to do it. And I did that to give the band a bit of an edge, really, because that people would be seeing and being able to touch instruments that would normally only see behind glass in a museum, really. So when you say the band, are you talking about Fiddler's Row? Yeah, Fiddler, Fiddler's Elbow, yes. Fiddler's and, Elbow. And before we were Fiddler's Elbow, there was Gus and I together. There was only two of us. And I found a tame, I looked for a tame guitarist, you see. Well, that would do as they're told, you see. And uh, <laughs> Gus came along and, um, and helped with that. And he's really supportive and he's a grand musician. What we do our different flavour is that we play different music, sometimes music that people wouldn't have heard before, that sort of crossover between folk and early music. Um, but I always say, with the variety of instruments that I play, people go, well, who plays one of those? Because we don't have many of those. Who plays one of those? Well, Wolfie O'Hare does. Is he any good? No, but he's the only one. <laughs> which has always worked, always worked in our favour. So yeah. where else would get people get the opportunity to hear things like a viola da more, a viola da gamba, um, a serpent, uh, what else, a, corn, a cornetto, not the one that you eat, it's <laughs> one that you blow, and uh, all kinds of things there. So I play lots and lots of medieval instruments because I'm interested in the period, but also the sounds themselves, because you get a different sort of sound. Um, one of the favourite ones I've got, I suppose, would be um, this one. 
which is the, me the small metal Gallic harp. And it's strung with metal. Beautiful. And how do you find these instruments? Where do you get them from? Well, you can purchase. Uh, there is a one major shop and organisation within the UK, and that's called the Early Music Shop in Saltaire, outside Brentford. You can't go into a music shop nowadays and say, can I have some strings for a viola d'amore? I love the name of that instrument. So just describe this instrument for the listeners, because it looks like a viola with a, a head at the top. A carved head. And of course, it's instead of four strings, four strings, it's got 14. Um, on the top, you've got seven strings. And on the bottom, and running through the bridge, you've got other ones that vibrate when you play the ones on the top. So you get this lovely shimmer underneath. I won't play anything at the moment because the sound quality of the Zoom won't do justice. But what I can do is do you a quick sound clip that can go along with along with the podcast. It's good to have loads of different interests, isn't it? And you can go into one, come out of it, go into something else. And you've experienced all those things. So you can always go back to it. It's very useful for me when I'm interviewing people. Right. Not so that I can say, oh, I've done that. Oh, I've done that as well. <laughs> oh, I've done... <laughs> oh, I did. I've done that. <laughs> no, in... It's interesting that I can try and think my way into their world about what's important to them yeah. when they're doing it. So when you hear me in, um, interview writers, um, I go beyond the inspiration. Yeah. You know, what's, I go beyond the inspiration because anybody that does any job well, to do your job well, there are frustrations there are things to be thought of. There are people to be kept informed. There are mistakes to rectify. There are first drafts, second drafts, third drafts. There are reports. You put a report back. You've got to include other people. It's the hard work of doing anything. When I used to paint, people used to say, oh, that's lovely. What was the inspiration behind this? And I used to say, we've had a gas bill. Yeah, just looking at the creative side, there's a lot more to it, isn't there, than just the creative element. It's like your job as well, isn't it, for some people? Well, yes, it is. It is. And, you know, if you're going to do any, you're going to do anything well, you're going to challenge yourself. If, if you're going to bake bread and sell it, you're going to challenge yourself. You're going to have to want to do it better. Mm. I just must just have a, have a slow. Now, before you I start... I was just going to say... Before you start, Kate, this Mark? is Ribena. This is right, Beano. You're just it? holding up a nice wine glass with red juice in it, and I was just about to say, "Where's mine?" Because we could have had one together. Well, <laughs> you, you see, I knew that if I produced this, her eyes would light up. She said, <laughs> her eyes would light up. Katie Holster can't <laughs> wait to go and rubbish me all over the town, saying, "He drinks at one o'clock." He drinks to go in a whole different way, wouldn't it? <laughs> 
<laughs> a whole different avenue it go down. Oh, I know what I've forgotten about. Um, do you know that if you look me up on Google, I'm I've got an entry in the International Movie Database. What do you mean? There's the International Movie Database, anybody that's been involved in film or television. To my complete surprise, uh, a friend said to my said to me, Google yourself. I said, well, I'm not doing that. I said, because you find out all kinds of things. You know, <laughs> you know, people, you know people have said about you and everything. And she said, no, do it. And it was because, all because, I haven't done films and not known about it. It's all because I appeared on the Jeremy Kyle, not, not Jeremy Kyle, so sorry, the Jeremy Vine show. And somebody must have, <laughs> must have been their job afterwards to do something like that. And they put me on the International Movie Database. It's a laugh. It's really, really funny. <laughs> really, really, really funny. Where you find yourself nowadays, because the, I, I like, I, I just like the idea of someone saying, oh, yeah. He's only done one thing. He's only been on the Jeremy Vine show. <laughs> well, certainly not been on the Jeremy Kyle show. <laughs> no, I'd love to. I'd love. Hey, Katie, we could we could cook up a good story. <laughs> Katie, we could go on, on Jeremy Kyle and cook up a great a great story. Well, unfortunately, he's not doing it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, yes, yeah. so and we both want to keep our jobs. There we are. Last up for this episode, we had a fun chat with our colleague Hannah about working on the front line of library services, her deep love of musicals as she picks some of her favourites, and also recommends some good books to have a nice therapeutic cry to. Your job title is library assistant. So you're kind of like the real lifeblood of the library service. You're one of the people that actually makes makes this thing actually work. What, what does a library assistant actually do? Oh, gosh, well, um, I'd say we serve the public with what their, their needs in the library. You know, um, it can vary from parking permits, bus passes, um, the customer service side of things, or books and DVDs and what the library can offer, really. Um, so, yeah, we're the first point of contact i imagine so and how did how long have you been doing the job and how did you get started doing it so i started back in 2012 and i think that's like coming up to 10 years which i think is absolutely crazy because i sort of fell into libraries i didn't grow up thinking i wanted to work in the library i wasn't obsessed with books or anything like that um i just saw an advert for for a saturday assistant and applied after my degree in Hull and um, and here I am so that was four hours on a Saturday and now I'm part-time in a job that I absolutely love. Didn't you start as a Saturday assistant Katie? I did 25 years ago. Wow. I did Saturday assistant four hours every Saturday, fell into it as well, I'm still here. <laughs> but it, it is just a job that is just so rewarding and you know I just love uh, customer interaction and customer service and I just absolutely love it and I love that I found a job that I enjoy so much you know waking up looking forward to the day sort of thing so yeah what is the best thing about the job do you think just meeting all sorts of people I think and um and that sense of community and I just love like a community library you get to know people and yeah, that social interaction. And I think that's what's been really difficult with um, with COVID and having been furloughed for that first lockdown. I really missed the customers and people. And I was often wondering how my customers were doing as well, because we are a lifeline to a lot of people. So you've picked a few things things for us that you'd like to talk about books and pieces of music that um, mean something to you what was the the first thing you thought of to talk about so one of my favorite books is one day by david nichols and um i'm not actually sure when it was written um but i actually just fell in love with the book and the story and 
had a good cry. I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but um, I just I I love a good cry. And then it's it's actually become a film with Anne Hathaway, although she does a terrible Yorkshire accent. I will admit, not that I could do any better, but um, but yeah, it's just a really beautiful film and book and one of my favorite i know you obviously don't want to do any spoilers and that's always the challenge talking about these things but what what exactly is the book about it's not something i've read or i'm particularly aware of no i don't know this one so um it's a girl and a boy and it's a love story and it goes through what the what they are doing on that particular day and how their lives cross and they were at university together and then they go their separate ways and they come together. You said it said it's something that really made you cry. Is it is it a happy cry or a sad cry kind of book or both? It's of both. I think what what got me is is it shocks you. Like you don't expect it. And I remember when I first read it, um, I turned the page and I was like, surely it's a dream. No, this is not real, you know. Yeah, it was just so unexpected. And again, I, I don't want to spoil it, but um, I just think it was really well written and, yeah, lovely story. So if you're the sort of person that enjoys a good cry at a book, that would be a top tip to read. Yes, yes, very much. I'll be trying that then. <laughs> I like a good cry, don't you, Dan? Uh, I don't think I can cry. <laughs> no, you don't seem like the type. No, I like a good cry at a film or a book. Or I think like a good cry over a book and a film's a bit of a, I don't know, I can't really describe it. I think it just shows how lovable a character can be and how you can feel close to a character. So um, another book of mine as well that I absolutely love rereading is Belle and the second book, which is called The Promise by Leslie Pierce. And Leslie Pierce is very popular in the libraries and, and has written lots of books. Um, and this particular one is set for the First World War. Um, again, it was a story that made me cry. <laughs> Love a good cry. <laughs> and again, I really felt for the character. The first one is about her growing up. Um, and the second one is her as an adult and she falls in love with two men at the same time during the First World War. And it was a few years um, years ago that I read it. And then I was cast in um, Hazel Theatre Company's production, The Hired Man. I played the lead part of Emily. Her story was very similar to this story um, of Belle. And so for my like character development and research, I reread and I also listened to it on audio. That production for me was, uh, everyone was crying in the theatre for that. You know, that was a very hard hitting um, Northern story. I, anything to do with the First World War and any wars really, um, gets me this might be a slightly odd question or a weird question but i'm genuinely interested you mentioned that you really love a good cry um what what is it about a cry that you enjoy because that's something that's a little bit alien to me i suppose and will be to some people but some people will know exactly what you mean i don't know i mean an um a film that I absolutely adore and it's very Marmite in the theatre world is La La Land. You either love it or you're unsure about it. And I went to see that three times. I paid to go to the cinema three times with different friends. Um, I loved it so much and I cried every time I saw it. And I just love a sort of love story that's not like they don't get together kind of thing or something happens to that person's love. Yeah, I, I don't know why I enjoy a good cry, but, the, you know. I'm the same. I can't explain it. No. I, I think it's just escapism, do you escapism think? Escapism and, and it releases. Release. Yeah. It. Maybe there's some sort of emotions that you're holding and, and you know, it's good to just cry out um, with a good film. And I don't know. And I think that, like media and you know whether it's a book whether it's a film can 
can be so personal um, and you hold emotional attachment to that, that it holds like memories and all sorts, um, that a good, a good cry is a good thing. So obviously musicals are a really kind of big part of your life. Do you have a particular all-time favourite musical? Oh, um, a tough question. But one of the best things I have seen is Parade, which is another Jason Robert Brown musical. And me and my partner saw it in Manchester. It was a professional company doing the production, but we loved it that much. And again, I cried so much <laughs> that um, we booked tickets on to go and see it on the way home. We booked tickets to go and see it again because they extended the run. And I've seen Hamilton. I've seen Book of Mormon and really big, big, big shows in the West End. And yet I still think that Parade Oh, it was just just that little bit up there. It was just incredible. And I think about it every time I listen to the CD, which is often. So if people want to check this, the, some of these things out, if they've never heard of them before and they're thinking, oh, that sounds really exciting, is the only way to experience it to kind of hope that someone is doing a performance near you or can you... Obviously, you can get soundtrack CDs, but are, are these th- things filmed? Can... Can they access them in other ways? Yeah, so um, the last five years was actually a production um, filmed in October 2020 and we we paid to see it online, stream it online. But I think that was only a certain date. You know, you've got to sort of be aware of what, what the theatres are streaming. Again, it's a two... It's a two-person show, so it works really well with social distancing and, and, you know, a really small production. I guess a lot of stuff, though, not everything necessarily always translates as well into the online world, although a lot of stuff does, and that's that's kind of the magic, I guess, of some of this stuff, of being there at the time, in the moment, and in a room full of other people that are, are loving yeah. it as well. Yeah. I um, very luckily went to actually see Jason Roald Brown play in um in london and that was a concert of sort of a combination of all the musicals with um very famous um actresses and actors singing his shows in glamorous dresses and that was an amazing night as well yeah i love being in the theater and the atmosphere and the production and the buzz in the air i just love it It's so magical, like, I can't wait to get back on there. (laughs) Thanks for listening. We're now available on all the major podcast platforms. Just search for Hull Libraries. So if you enjoyed this podcast, you can get all the latest episodes as soon as they're out. In the meantime, if you want to check out any of the services at Hull Libraries, please go to our website, hcandl.co.uk forward slash libraries, or we also have channels on all the social medias, including Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening and see you next time.